welcome, welcome, welcome. It's another Modern Homemakers podcast. And again, we're going to do a series on the Psalms. And this will be the third one that Donna brings to us. So get ready. Here we go. Here's Donna. <laughs> Thank you, David. That's very, very fun to have you hanging around these last days. They are the last days. Wow, I keep saying that word, but it's really beginning to feel like the last days. 37 years, the last days of 37 years. And David's right. We're talking about the Psalms, and this is Lesson 3. There has was an introduction and uh, two other lessons that I hope you will look and listen and repeat using them in your prayer life. The Psalms are for praying. They're not for knowing more. They're not for learning more. They're for praying. I meet with a lot of women, more women than men, but some men, one-on-one throughout the year, and throughout the years I've met with many. They ask many questions. They want to know better ways to love their husbands, or sometimes how to put up with them. They want to raise their children to be whole human beings. They want friends. They want to keep a good home. They want to establish a good relationship with each uh, each of the people that live within that home. And they want to know God. I would say the vast majority of people who I meet with one-on-one throughout the years of ministry, both traveling in America and other countries, if given an opportunity to talk to a woman for longer than five minutes, these questions come up. And They really want to know God. They want to feel close to Him. They want to put their confidence in Him. They want to be obedient to the wishes for their lives. And the largest percentage of those women, when I ask this very simple question, simple in words but complicated in action, how's your prayer life? They cannot answer or they struggle or they're not able to say, the things that are true, which is non-existent, except for those fast speed arrow prayers. Help me now. Help me now, Lord. Help me now. Praying is how to know God. Praying is how to know God. The Psalms are not about learning more or knowing more. They're about how to know God. And being with him, just sitting with him, and staying with him is how we get to know him. Can you hearken back? Oh, that sounds like such an old girl, hearken back. But can you look back and remember a friend you met and you thought, wow, I want to have lunch with her again. I want to go somewhere with her. Or perhaps your husband or a boyfriend. When I met David, I can still remember clearly he had a little red Volkswagen. And he was doing some noodling under the hood. I always wondered about what men do noodling under the hood. We were in the city of Chicago. I sat on the curb, yep, on the curb, while he noodled in the car. Did I talk to him? Oh, probably. But did I get any responses? Probably not. Did I know what he was doing? No. Did he care that I knew what he was doing? No. What were we doing? We were, I just wanted to be with him, near him. And he was so happy 
to have me sitting on the curb with him. For years we talked about that. We'd take a long walk, and he'd be holding my hand, and he'd say, remember the ways we came to know one another, sitting on the curb while I noodled with my Volkswagen. Well, that's what I'm talking about, being with God, sitting with him. And we've just finished a long series on staying. And if there's ever a place that I can encourage you to stay, even if it means you're wiggling and squiggling and if you're wondering something about dinner tonight or where you have to be next, if you can just sit and stay. Now, I'm going to tell you that I began this exercise decades ago, and I have some of these things that are popular or at least well-known in these days, you know, ADHD, squiggle with my hands, can't sit still for too long. In the fifth grade, my teacher tied me to my seat with a rope and put a piece of tape over my mouth. And when I say that, especially with professional teachers or parents, they gasp, you know, they want to go get them and put him in jail. But I always say, you know, I think the poor man had to because my arm was up every 10 seconds. Can I go to the bathroom? Can I go to the coat room? Can I ask a question? And he just was tired and put the tape over my mouth. And I had to get up and move around. Now, that sounds like ADHD or something like it. It probably was, but they weren't, didn't even know it about then. And so he did what he could. So learning to sit still has been a lifetime occupation for me. And I remember the first time I had an egg timer that was the shape of a chicken. Shape of a chicken. Never forgot it. And I had been using our closet on the floor underneath my short shirts as a place for a prayer, because I take things literal, prayer closet, went to my closet. It was quiet there. No one went looking at me there for a long time. And I would turn that little chicken on And I started with five minutes. I I tell you to this day, I can still remember five minutes thinking, how could it be this long? I had no idea how to sit still. But I practiced sitting still, and I practiced staying in it until I could sit easily for one hour. And then I stopped practicing, and I just began doing it. And it's very easy for me now. When I get nestled into my place, I can sit and stay for long periods of time. Well, back to the Psalms and to Psalm 1 and 2, which we've been concentrating on, because these are the two Psalms that open the Psalter, but they are not prayers. They're sort of pre-prayers, weighty choices we must make before we begin our time in prayer. Peterson calls Psalm 1 and 2 a pair working together to put our feet on the path that goes from non-praying world into which we are habitually distracted and intimidated into the praying world where we come to attention and practice adoration. For prayer is not only a matter of saying the right kind of words to the right kind of God but it is our being involved the way we are honestly before God. We don't like being honest before God. We somehow or another hope he doesn't really know everything we, they say he does know and doesn't know where I am all the time or what I think or what I've done. 
As I think about this, I come back to my organizational part of life where I had to learn how to organize my home. Elizabeth Elliot saying to me, don't carry a Bible unless you've swept under the bed. Wow. I learned how to sweep under the bed, but I also learned how to carry a Bible. And what was the key word to organization? The key word to organizing anything is preparation. So these psalms are preparation, Psalm 1 and 2. We never get past needing his help. And here we have the words of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Whatever is received is received according to the mode of the one receiving it. And we start with Psalm 1 with the very first word, blessed or happy. And we end in Psalm 2 with the same word, blessed or happy. And then there's the tree thing. Well, I have to tell you about trees in my life anyway. We have a tree called an Anna tree. It's an Anna apple tree. And in our former home, which we lived in for over 40 years and moved out only recently, three years ago, we had an orchard. Well, in Arizona, that's not a big deal. Doesn't Don't act like it's a big deal because an orchard is, you know, plant some trees and they will just grow, especially if they're citrus. And we had grapefruit and orange and lemon and lime, and David had a couple of peach trees. And we loved the fruit from those trees. We loved using the fruit. We loved giving the fruit. It was just terrific to have it on our property. And just as we were moving from that area, a man in our neighborhood told us about the apple tree, the Anna apple tree. And it's a tree that grows in our climate. And so we got ready to move, and we were thinking about the Anna apple tree quite a bit. I was, anyway. And we looked at this house built in 1959, and we found that the former owners had just planted a few years before we moved into that house, an Anna apple tree. I was so excited. It just seemed like, it, it, it felt like it was home because we had a little orchard, we had one tree. And the first year we had seven apples. The fruit really matters. We water it, we feed it, we feed it special things on special days of the year, but the fruit really matters seven apples and I made two little apple pies one for David and one for me with a little lattice crust across the top and we enjoyed that fruit from our property fruit really matters and our fruit for God matters to him and to his people and the image of the tree is action planted in the right place by the stream and it yields fruit I, I so remember my early days as a woman of faith, people talking about fruit and people being able to see my fruit and fruit mattered. And I seriously do remember thinking, if good fruit matters, what happens if I produce bad fruit? Well, it didn't take me long to figure out there were a lot of people in the church who noticed my bad fruit. Well, that isn't the reason why we want to have fruit, because someone noticed that it's good fruit or it has bad fruit or we need to fix it. No, 
The psalms are words we take in, not study words like what does fruit really mean and what does it look like in a human life, not words we need to study so we can get it right. It's not about getting the fruit right. It's about finding a place with God so that we become different. These are words we take in, words that shape us and feed us and allow us to meditate. Now I've done it, haven't I? I've stepped way over the line of simple acceptance and into a space that I cannot do. Meditate. Is that you? Boy, I understand that so clearly. As you can tell, I'm a talkative person. I've always said I talk so much because I'm a teacher, but that's not really true. If I'm not teaching, I'm still talking quite a lot. Ask the people who know and love me. I'm a talkative person. I can be a noisy person, clunking around in the kitchen. I can be a loud person. When I laugh, especially as a young woman, you could hear my laughter. People used to say, I could hear you in a room above all the other people talking in the room because of my laughter. And my friend, Aunt Epley, she and I, when we would laugh together, they could hear us around the nation, I think. When people started talking to me about prayer and the place that led to meditative practices, I was sure that would never, never include me. Just It wasn't possible. You see, I'm a teacher, and I talk, and I love to talk, and God uses my talking. But here I'm going to encourage you, no matter what you do or what your personality style is, we all can come to a place to meditate with God. I said to you a few days ago in the lesson on on Psalm, I think it was lesson one, about the passage in Isaiah 31 and 4, where the lion is purring and growling with pleasure over the food he has just killed. He knows that that food is going to give him strength to be the lion God created him to be. Now, this is not meditation like the gift of tongues, and it's not manufacturers. And I thought about it for myself, and I realized how deeply I can feel things that I cannot express. Can I say that again? Do you find yourself feeling things that you cannot express? I want to say to you, pause, hold on to that, recognize that. I believe that is the beginning of the meditation process. We cry or we shout or we sigh or we become silent in a sense of awe when we sense God's nearness to us. It is physical. And hearing and rehearing his word, the sound sinks into our muscles and our bones. Again, our friend Eugene Peterson says, meditation is like mastication. And when you put that story in of the lion who was created to be a lion, to go out and hunt and kill things so he could eat, and he was growling and murmuring with noises of satisfaction because he had done it, and now he had the strength to be a lion. Do you want the strength to be a man or a woman of God? I so hunger and long for more of that. I love the idea that in all my days and all my ways, I will never get to the fullness of knowing him, loving him, being close to him until I see him face to face. But in the meantime, I can keep going forward.
forward. When we immerse ourselves into the Torah, to the Old Covenant, in this case, the Psalms, in Scripture and meditation, before we know it, we are praying. Not because we set out to pray or read prayers, but because we've meditated on the Word, and guess what? Now we're trees. Now we're trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season. They just get planted by streams of water. They don't work about how they're going to get the fruit. They're not figuring out, well, did I get checkmark for that because I went to church three times last week? Fruit. No, no. It becomes an intrinsic part of who you are. You live it. You breathe it. You grow it because you're meditating on the Word of God. And we become trees, true trees. And I discovered that there is an English word that when I go to my computer or my phone and say, will you pronounce T-R-E-O-W. It's the first word I've ever done that with that they couldn't pronounce. They said, we're sorry, we cannot find that. But it's an English word, and the idea of it is it spells just like it. T-R-E-O-W. I don't know. How would you say it? Troll, maybe? It sounds like tree, doesn't it? It's the word that is used for true or truth. And the truth of the living word belongs to us. And when we become trees, that truth seeps into us. It doesn't, it doesn't open the door and come running through. It seeps into us. For many years, I've said, you know, if you're worried about Satan getting into your life or Satan getting into your church or Satan getting into your family, that's a good thing because he doesn't open the back door of the church in a red costume and run down the middle of the aisle and say, here I am, here I am, I'm bringing evil. No, he seeps into our world a little here, a little there. One drink now, ten drinks later, whatever it is, he seeps into our world. And soon, the seeds that we are putting into the dirt don't come out looking like fruit. When you read the psalm, you meditate on the psalms, you will see and feel and act out that fruit in a measurement that has to do with you and only you. That's really important. I want to say it again. It'll feel like fruit that acts out and looks like you and only you. Not some book you read that said this is what fruit looks like. When you read Psalm 1, the tree is the focus. Stay with this. Let the transplanted image of the tree become your focus and you will stop trying and feel the emotion that says, put down your roots here. This is a good place. This is a good place by the streams of water which yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. I know. What do you think about prosper? Does it sound like your bank account just got bigger, or your brain just got bigger, or your house just got bigger, or you got another new car? That's not the kind of prosper that God's talking about. He's talking about the prosper in the sense that I feel everything that he wants me to feel, and I grow in him. I have lots of books, oh, so many books. In the month of December, I'm going to share some 31 or two of those Christmas books with you every day. 
I love these books, so they've been part of the ministry. They've been part of the Home for Christmas. They've been part of the Advents, and I'm going to share excerpts from them. The books are all off the shelves and ready to be read to you. But I have shelves of books that speak of prayer. How to, when to, why to. Oh, I've suffered, like you, trying what I thought was everything until I quit. And then I began to realize that he was present, very near, ever so near, willing to speak and guide me personally. Now, I meet with men and women in a practice called spiritual direction, and we spend about one hour together every month. We sit and we listen and we wait for God to speak to us, to feel his presence, to talk about things that are present in the directee's life. And from time to time, I will hear someone say this phrase. And if you ever say it in front of me, I want you to know it's how I will feel. They say, God showed up. Oh, I start to tremble inside. I, and depending on who is with me and how well I know that person, I will even say, but even if I don't say what I'm thinking, I, what I want to say is, where's God? Where's God? When I ask this question, everyone always says, if I'm free to ask the question, well, he's here. He's right here. Precisely. God does not show up when we ask him to, when we need him to. All the things that we want to put on the presence of who he is. He is here. He is near. He is in you. And if you have acknowledged that he is the God you want to serve, then your ability to be with him, to frequent your conversations with him, to seek his guidance, to understand what he's directing you to do, will be made easier and easier. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. The next time we're together, we're going to talk a little more about Psalm 2. But Psalm 1 says, Happy are those, blessed are those, who do not follow the advice of the wicked. He's talking about you. He's ever-present. And the ones who are happy are the ones who don't follow the advice of the wicked. You think it's hard to tell what's evil or wicked from what's good or godly? I don't think it's that hard. I think we often try to confuse, make it difficult so we don't have to follow it, or take the path that the sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They meditate day and night. Do you ever wake up in the night feeling an urgency to pray for someone, the Spirit of God? You are in the middle of the night meditating on the Word of God and what He's called you to do and how He's called you to pray. The Psalms are necessary because they are prayer masters. What is a master? A master of karate or a master of tennis or a master of football. I mean, they're masters everywhere. A master is someone who imitates or emulates even a rather powerful presence acknowledged and people look up to it in all kinds of seasons. A mountain. A mountain is like that. David and I have the extreme privilege and joy to live on a property with the view of the very west end of the Camelback Mountain. Yes, the end with the praying monk. And daily we run out in the morning to see the sun coming up or going down, not every day, but frequently. 
creating a different view. A mountain can be a powerful presence, a great upheaval of rock and earth, contours, declivities, tufted ridge that defines the horizon, curly bloom of foggy woods, a rock face far up, implying the sounding cataract. The mountain is the master of the landscape of which it is present. One does not emulate such a master except by being more oneself in the presence of that master. I love those words written by Denise Leverto. A mountain, a mountain. We, we, we see so many places in the scripture that God talks about the mountains and the rivers and the streams. We run into the mountain and he is the mountain. We apprentice ourselves with these masters, acquiring a facility to use the tools of which we become more and more our real selves. If we're willingly ignorant of the Psalms, we are thereby excluded from praying, but we'll have to hack it. I love this word. Our way through a formidable country by trial and error with inferior tools. Hacking at something? Have you ever hacked at something? I've hacked at something in my kitchen. Like I needed a really sharp tool and I had a really dull tool. I've hacked at a tomato trying to get it sliced because I have the wrong tools. If you dismiss the Psalms, preferring a more up-to-date and less demanding school of prayer, we will not be without grace but we will miss the center where Christ's work is in praying. Christ prayed the Psalms himself. The scripture is clear to tell us that he was acquainted with them. He is quoted in the gospel in many places where he's praying the phrases and words from the gospel. The Christian community was early convinced that he continued praying them through us as we pray them. We recite this psalm of this prayer of the psalm in him, and he recites it in us. Now, I have a few paragraphs from our dear friend Eugene that I want to end this lesson with, or almost end it. The awkward singularity is that the psalm is not fit into a form people naturally gravitate to in prayer. In the history of prayer, the psalms are a queer fish. Doesn't that sound just like him? Most students of the human condition agree that prayer is baked to our existence. Prayer reaches into the unknown for whatever we sense deep within us will provide wholeness or for what we hope are far off or will bring us to the place of salvation. There's more to being a human than simply surviving. There is God and our power is looking for God looking to please God, getting God's help. We are unfinished creatures, longing, reaching, stretching toward fulfillment. We express these desires in our completion and in prayer. Prayer articulates what I'm seeking after. When I read some of these psalms aloud, I think, I, I, I just feel wowed by the fact that these words are the words that someone else prayed, and yet they're the very place my heart is. Prayers give voice to the aspiration toward the highest. Everything that is distinctly human gets formulated in prayers, our nobility, our creativity. Also, interestingly, everything that is disreputable in us, 
lust, avarice, pride, pettiness, disguises itself in prayer in order, if possible, to get us to credit instead of shame. But either way, whether in disguise or reality, prayer shows us at our best. And I find that idea of false prayer, oh, I don't know about you, but just saying those words remind me of the times that I prayed falsely, that I prayed in front of people. What the very Sermon on this Mount tells us not to do, don't do it to show alms or give alms or pray prayers for other people. I have done that. I've been asked to pray in a room of people I don't know well, and I think, oh, no, I should use my best language. I should, no. My dear friend Kay Arthur, I will never forget, not ever in my lifetime, she and I, who had a mutual friend who was quite ill, and we were meeting together, we were probably a couple of hundred people in the room, and someone said, Kay, would you stand and pray for? Kay stood from her seated place, and then she knelt on the floor, lift her face up, and prayed. It was a holy prayer. And many of the phrases in that prayer were praises straight from the gospel of Christ, straight from the Psalms, straight from the Word of God that she had studied and taught all the days of her life. The pilgrims set their faces against uh, anything except what clearly defines and helps us to seek fulfillment. In the world of prayer that indulges religious ego and cultivates passionate longing, the Psalms stand out with a kind of austerity that helps us to recognize these are God's words. The Psalms are in many ways acts of obedience. The Psalms, all of which we listen to in order to answer, train us in conversation and train us in prayer. I end today with this simple idea or perhaps this simple question. How do you feel about being introduced to the Psalms after having carried a Bible around for decades and just realized that they're in the middle somewhere? And there are a lot of them. How do you feel about being told that the Psalms train you up to pray? I can remember thinking when I first came to this concept, Oh, how foolish I have been right there under my nose where these gems of truth written by men who men and talked about by women and men, the life of David, who is talked about in the Bible. His name and his story is given much more print matter than even Jesus. Upon my first understanding of this truth, I wanted to say, but, 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 but. It felt like I'd missed something. And like you, I deal with FOMO, the fear of being left out. I don't want to miss out, but I had missed out. I had missed the opportunity to draw these psalms into my world as places of prayer. I missed, and we've been drawing these 37 years of homemakers to a close, and I want to say to you, I don't want you to feel left out. I want you to recognize that the Psalms are yours. They are found in every Bible that you own. I'm not teaching you how to pray. I'm trying to teach you and show you how to use the prayers of the ancient prayer book, the Psalms, to be your prayers, your prayers of the great God. He is always near he does not show up. He is constantly present, listening and speaking to his children. 
Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of making the Psalms your close personal friend. Thank you, Donna. And before we end this, uh, what is it, uh, 1,684th <laughs> podcast? Let's not count. <laughs> I have uh, two quick announcements for you. One, uh, we still have some Advent candles, and if you hurry, we can ship them out to you. Go to the website and use that address and uh, let us know. Also, we have a gift for those of you who are regular listeners. It's a copy of Donna's book, Loving Life as an At-Home Mom. We sent out a whole bunch of them already, but there's more to go. So if you'd like one, just send your information. Go to the website. It'll tell you what to do. And that concludes our podcast for today.